Yo, Albert Tate Podcast Season 1 and a half. It's the remix season. It was time for me to fire myself. Nobody understands what I've had to endure to get and achieve what I've done. Don't feel embarrassed about your call. I feel like we're at this threshold of opportunity. Yo, welcome to the Albert Tate Podcast Remix. This is season one and a half where we're remixing uh, our conversations that we had in season one. Listen, if you tuned in season one, we had some great conversations with some amazing people. Um, and in the season one and a half episode, we're just kind of, I'm just taking some of the themes. I didn't get a chance to talk season one. Uh, I was just asking questions. So this one, I'm kind of taking some time and unpacking. It was all about moments that shape people. I'm kind of unpacking those same moments that shaped me and pulling from those conversations. Um, one of the most fascinating uh, and amusing in many ways was my conversation with Craig Gross. Craig Gross started a website along with a guy named Mike Foster called Triple X Church. And it just focused on sexuality, healthy sexuality, pornography, the impact of pornography. Um, they went to churches just talking about pornography. And this was decades ago and now it's it's one of the leading websites that deal and engage with accountability, whether it's coming alongside um, spouses who have been just victims of, of addiction and pornography. And, and, and we just had a great conversation about healthy sexuality. Um, it made me think about how sex was introduced to me and where it actually came from. Friends of ours were just in a room, and this was back in the 90s early 90s and a um, friend his dad had had a VCR tape uh, with pornography on it and um, a room full of teenage boys after he pops it in the VCR and we're watching this porno flick and we're pointing we're laughing um, we're grossed out we are um, stimulated, like we are, we're all those things. Um, and I was a little boy and I still have those images burned in my head. Of course they had Playboy magazine and different things like that, not seeing that, but it was nothing like seeing a video clip. Um, I remember um, growing up and revisiting those images and looking for more of those images. Uh, I would discover after becoming an adult that what happened was there were some chemical things happening in my mind that had been unleashed and introduced. Um, and I remember becoming a Christian and saying yes to the Lord at 17 years old, um, but still trying to navigate the realities of pornography and masturbation, and sexuality and sex. I wasn't a virgin when I got married those images led over then to unhealthy relationships and dynamics and it just created this 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 thing that I would carry that I would feel terrible about that I would feel guilty about it because I'm trying to live for the Lord I love Jesus but there's this this thing that started in me that's created this unhealthy cycle um, and then I meet my girlfriend who would be my wife um, and I said, I'm committed. We are, when we stand down, when we walk down that aisle, we're going to be virgins. Um, or we, I mean, not virgins. Uh, but we would not have had sex with each other. Um, that was a commitment. I tried to become a virgin again, but 
I had to be recircumcised, and I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we were committed to not sleep with each other until our wedding night, and we did. But when I tell you, we fought sex like the enemy. And throughout my whole single life, as I was in ministry, I was a, I was a preacher, I was a pastor while being single. So I, sex was like the enemy that I had to fight on a daily basis. I'm not gonna do it. And I see it come out, punch it in the face. And I pray against pornography and relationships with girls that will go to sex. So sex was like this enemy that I would just fight like the plague. And that day, November 30th, I'll never forget it, it's my wedding day. That night, it all changed. No longer is sex the enemy. It is now my best friend. Like, yes, hallelujah. Our wedding night was probably the worst sex we've ever had in our life, <laughs> parenthetically. That's a whole nother podcast where I just want to tell young brothers how to come out the gate right and not wrong, because the brother was wrong, Jesus. Um, my wife still has nightmares about the first night. Um, anyway, that's, a, that's another episode. But what happened to me, I think, is sex was an enemy for so many years. And after one night, it was supposed to be my greatest friend. And I'm supposed to all of a sudden now have this beautiful, optimistic, and it just didn't work that way. I had an unhealthy view of sex. And that night on my wedding night, it was still an unhealthy view of sex. I had allowed the world standard and understanding of sex to, def to define it for me. Um, and then I brought that perspective and that understanding of sex to my wedding night. I just thought that somehow I sprinkled some I do's on it. And then we, I, once I said I do, then we did. And then, you know, the Jesus juice on it. And it was supposed to be now, you know, it doesn't work that way. It was, God began a journey then that was a rewiring of our understanding of sex. Everyone's talking about sex and sexuality, but can I just tell you, God created it. So he gets to define it. He gets to define the parameters. He gets to define the, the guards in which it happens. He gets to define all of it. He gets to set the tone for it. We don't get to hijack it, come up with our own definitions, and then wonder why it doesn't do what it's designed to do. So there I am now trying to have sex to fulfill something that really God himself was to fulfill. So sex is beautiful, but if you take sex and put it in the wrong context, it becomes this thing that will never ever satisfy you. It'll become this thing that, that won't fulfill what you're trying to get it to feel because you're trying to put it in the wrong space. We're married, I said I do, we're fully legal. But in our marriage, sex was still the enemy. It was not our friend because we still had a skewed view of what it was, of what it was supposed to be, of what it was supposed to do. To be honest, I've learned now throughout the years, I had made sex an idol for me, and I worshiped at the altar of sex. In the moment that shaped me from the very beginning when I saw it for the first time, I worshiped at that altar. In other words, I looked to sex to fulfill something inside of me that was really a job for God. What I learned throughout marriage is sex is more than just this physical act that lasts for hours. Um, yeah, that doesn't happen. Um, it's this 
physical act that lasts for three to six minutes that's designed, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm laughing by myself now. Um, what, what it is is I'm looking for intimacy. And even as pornography, when it showed up in our marriage, I was looking for intimacy. Because the lie that I told myself is that I'm only using pornography because I'm single, but when I get married, I get to have sex, and there'll be no more need for pornography. So you can imagine my surprise when I have a wife, we have this beautiful marriage, and here I am still reaching for pornography. Because turns out, sexual marriage didn't satisfy my soul. It wasn't the God that I thought it would be. And pornography didn't satisfy my soul. It wasn't the God that I thought it would be. So I was reaching for sex from my wife to satisfy my soul, reaching for pornography to satisfy my soul. Turns out they both failed me miserably because what I was longing for was God. I was longing for the intimacy that only comes from God. And instead of reaching for what I was longing for, I reached for cheap, um, cheap counterfeits instead of trusting God to be the great original. I was empty, I was lonely, and I was looking for connection. And I was using my wife to fulfill my own selfish desire for connection. Instead of going to the bed, I should have been going to the floor in prayer and saying, God, will you meet me in this space? And the intimacy that overflowed that would become lovemaking with my wife would be an overflow of this intimate connection that I have with my God and my Savior, where I'm not asking her to fulfill something in me. I'm asking her to join me physically to celebrate what God had already done in me. Woo-hoo! That was good. Let me say that again. I'm asking her to join in with me physically and spiritually to celebrate what God had already done in us. Contrary to popular belief, Jerry Maguire, I'm sorry. My wife does not complete me, but she's, she's able to celebrate with me what God has completed in me. And when we come together as two completed beings celebrating the love of God, woo, you wanna talk about great lovemaking. That's the orgasm that comes from the Holy Spirit. We want Holy Spirit orgasms. Yes, hashtag Holy Spirit orgasm. Come on, let's, let's do a t-shirt. Let's brand that out, right? Yo, can I just tell you, when I begin to tap into that knowledge, and still, after 17 years of marriage, still tapping into that knowledge, I'm just saying, Lord, what, is, what does it mean for me to find wholeness and oneness in you and to bring the gift of that to my wife? So that sex is an opportunity for me to watch this serve you, God, and serve my wife out of, out of a whole place, not a broken place. That's healthy sexuality. That's the sex that God has designed and created, and that's the, that's the context that he designed it for. Sex in any other way, in any other context, the gift then becomes a burden. It's a beautiful gift from God, but it is not necessary. So if you're single, you don't need sex to complete you. As a matter of fact, in this season of your life, sex will become more of a burden than a gift because it's out of context. It's a great thing, but you're using it the wrong way. 
You're just using it the wrong way. That is not how it's supposed to be used. And it's, it, takes, it takes life instead of brings life. It's not this beautiful expression. It becomes this physical, pleasurable experience that becomes this emotional, spiritual burden because it's out of context. So the conversation with Craig taught me and it helped to remind me, number one, to stay away from cheap counterfeits of intimacy. If I want intimacy in the deepest way, I need to go to the source, to the real thing, and that's Jesus Christ. And out of the overflow of my oneness with God, I get to celebrate with oneness with my wife. And that's beautiful, Holy Spirit-filled lovemaking. That then prayerfully, Luckily, a couple of times a year will lead to a Holy Spirit orgasm. I know that. No, 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 no. It's more often than that. But anyway, I'm not a sex therapist. We'll talk about that on another episode. I just, I just want to encourage you. Um, if you're married, pursue intimacy with the Father and allow that intimacy to be an overflow of the intimacy with your spouse. If you're single, pursue intimacy with the Father and allow that intimacy to sustain you and to complete you and to make you whole. You don't need an orgasm to be made whole. You just need the Father, the one who created you, to hold you and to keep you. And in him, you are one. You are not one waiting on something else to come. No, you are one, you are whole, and you are complete now. Everything else is just complimentary and in the Lord's time. And if it doesn't come, he's the sustainer of your soul. Trust me, don't bow to the altar of sex thinking that one day it will make you whole. You will miss the great altar of God who has come to already make you whole. Have a good day. There's a little, little, little sex inspiration for you. Hope you can take that on. Bless y'all. <laughs> I need to go pray. Stadia is a church planning organization whose vision is to see a world where every child has a church. Though our vision is God-sized, our mission is simple, to plant churches that intentionally care for children. Called and affirmed leaders who plant with Stadia are demonstrating what it means to plant churches that don't simply survive, but thrive. 90% of U.S. churches planted by Stadia are still engaged in their mission on their fifth birthday. And globally, more than 40,000 children have been sponsored as a result of U.S. churches partnering with our high-impact, like-minded partners. But we won't stop until every child has a church. There are more children needing churches right now than ever before. 8,600 new churches need to be planted every year in the United States alone in order to keep up with population growth. That translates to tens of thousands of churches globally. But we don't need only more churches. We need better churches. In the U.S., 3,700 churches close their doors every single year. And globally, many obstacles get in the way of the long-term success of churches. Stadia is committed to meeting the needs of children around the world by planting more and better churches. 
In the U.S., we now share our portfolio of services with open-handed generosity, providing services with no strings attached to planters, organizations, denominations, and networks so that more churches can be planted than ever before. We pray that our generosity may spur others to invest in church planting, both in the U.S. and around the world. We're honored to be a part of the church planting journey, and we anxiously look forward to seeing how God will work to transform the landscape of communities in the United States and around the globe. And we promise we won't stop until every child has a church. If you want to learn more, go to stadiachurchplanning.org.